Welcome back to Life After Ursinus. I'm Johnny Myers, and I'm here to introduce our next guest, Michael Agiorgis, class of 2013. In this episode, my fellow alumni council member, Kevin Cox, sits down with Michael to discuss how he makes physics easier to understand through storytelling. After graduating from Ursinus, Michael went on to get his PhD in physics from Rensselaer Polytech Institute, where he worked on computational condensed matter physics. Michael currently works at the MIT Lincoln Laboratory in the Systems and Architectures Group. A key part of his work is bringing his technical research to high-level audiences, incorporating storytelling into his research. Michael credits his time at Ursinus with helping him craft his writing and presentation skills. Stay tuned after this month's episode for a quick professional development tip brought to you by the Ursinus College Alumni Council. Michael, thanks so much for sitting down with me today. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to talking with you. Um, as a math teacher myself, big into the, the STEM life, and uh, it was really cool to read over your bio and hear how you know, a big part of your role is explaining technical research in a way that, that uh, people can understand. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to digging into that. Uh, let's start a little bit earlier, though. So you, how did you become interested in physics? Sure. Um, so I had a really great AP physics teacher in high school who really reached out and, and made a huge difference and saw that, you know, I was maybe I had a little bit of talent at it. And, and she really like pushed me in that direction when I was never really considering physics before. And, you know, she was just she was just awesome. You know, she like showed up, uh, showed up to the high school building like a few, like a half hour early and like showed me some math stuff once I like showed an interest. So she was, she was really the driver into me choosing to, uh, to study physics. Oh, that's awesome. So was that your junior year uh, of high school or? No. So this was my senior year of high school. Um, so I took two years of physics in high school. I had like college prep physics junior year. And then, you know, I, I, liked it a lot so for one of my uh elective senior year i took ap physics b so that's like non-calc was that like electricity and magnetism stuff or is that more uh, mechanics no this was like mechanics and fluids it's kind of a way to like teach you physics without teaching you any of the math math that explains the physics i think it's one oh, of the okay. hardest versions to teach yeah but it was um slightly harder mechanics and fluid dynamics, and really, really some basics of electricity. I don't think we even covered magnets when I took the course. All right, cool, cool. Good stuff. So so from there then, you knew you were interested in physics coming out of high school, looking for a college to attend, and you ended up at Ursinus. Do you have uh, any any like things that stick out about what led to the decision to go to Ursinus? Sure. Um, the tour guide did a really great job of selling the school. I still remember this because uh, I, I toured Ursinus at the recommendation of my parents. Um, they, they read the book that Ursinus was featured in and the colleges changed lives. So I was like, okay, fine. Um, we can go check it out. But I toured the campus and it felt really, really homey. It seemed like uh, a place where I saw myself going and being comfortable and having a you know, happy four years. And that, that feeling, that kind of gut instinct was what towed me over the line and pushed me in that direction. Yeah, I feel like that's like one of the more, you know, it's special, but it's common for our sinus students, that kind of feeling. Like I remember the visit, my visit too, it, it was like that where 
I couldn't point to a, you know, that specific building or like this part of this program. It was just like when you're there, mm -hmm. like this felt like right. It feels like the right spot to be. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. totally. It's, it's crazy now, like talking to uh, my coworkers and, and some of my grad school classmates of, you know, their experiences at, at maybe larger schools. And, you know, I tell them that, oh, I went to a 1600 student like liberal arts college and it was, you know, it was great. And, and it's a wide range of reactions because I think it's very different. You know, our science is very different from a lot of places. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I, I remember there was some session I was a part of too. I, I graduated 2015. So a couple of years after you, and there was, they, they were asking like, those kinds of things. What were the moments that like led you to picking here? You know, trying to think of different, you know, ways to highlight the great things about our sinus. And there was a lot of that, just like, you got to get people to visit. You got to mm -hmm. get people to visit, get to know the people and, you know, tour guides or I think I was, I was getting recruited to play football. So I had a, you know, football person showing me around and those mm -hmm. people make those connections and you're like, yeah, this is the right spot. It's the right spot. Yeah. Awesome. So, so then you went on um, after science and continued your work with work with physics. Um, yep. And so, how did you become passionate about this idea of storytelling in STEM? Sure. Uh, honestly, by kind of by complete accident. Um, so it was I was like a third or fourth year grad student, and I was talking with my advisor about like a paper that was published in, in nature or science or something like that. And, you know, I asked like, how do these people go about getting into these papers? Uh, because I thought it was like, well, you know, they're well-funded, they, they can take on these technically challenging projects. And there's lots of these resources that are kind of maybe stacked against you to getting like published in one of those. Um, you know, and my advisor stopped me and responded that, you know, no, like they, they get these publications and their cover articles because they can tell a good story. Um, and that was maybe the first moment where I saw me communicating my results as, as not just like a set of charts, right? That shows like, oh, I'm really smart. I did this cool physics stuff. You guys <laughs> should be really impressed. And it's a way to, you know, really, really tell a story, right? Like that's that what's a key part of research is, what, is what's the story. Um, and now that's almost entirely my job. Now I probably use PowerPoint more than you know whatever coding language i'm using on some days um that's awesome yeah i mean i think obviously because on one hand you think physics you start thinking math and you think about research and those sorts of things but really with any work a big part of it is communicating right like we just talked about how do you get students to come to their sinus for example you know well you've got a place and there's all this special work going on but how do you communicate it and um you know, with, with, with the, the world the way it is now too, things of that, that kind of communication is changing, um, constantly. For sure. I think, uh, in terms of scientists, you know, there's been a pretty good change since, uh, I was maybe like a high schooler or, or, or younger where for a while, you know, scientists or, or people in white coats who did stuff that I, you know, didn't really understand. <laughs> um, and those barriers are getting broken down and making science more approachable. Right. I think a lot of uh, technical work sounds really hard just, you know, because you're using the words of that field. So there's just a lot that's communicated in a very small space 
that can make these things seem insurmountable. When they're really approachable, I think everyone uh, can be a scientist. That's awesome. That's a that's a really interesting point. I think about that sometimes with math too. I get like, uh, you know, a student will say something like, "Yeah, you're talking a bunch of math gibberish." You know, and it's like, well, we're using the vocab of the subject, but Mm -hmm. it's describing a topic that you can you can grasp. But the more you work in the field, the more you get used to certain language. I mean, as teachers, too, we have different like vocab or or, uh, teach out of curiosity. What like level? I'm a middle school math teacher. So I right now I'm teaching fifth through eighth grade um, gets up to algebra one. Okay. And. Uh, you know, I, when I tutor, sometimes I'll, I'll still do some calculus work and uh, mm-hmm. all that fun stuff, too. But, but could you give us uh, an example of some research you've been working on and also like how you would share it for someone who doesn't speak that, you know, that physics language you're just talking about, the, the technical language? Sure. So complicated research bit on aluminum ion battery. So first... Um, we want aluminum to replace lithium uh, because it's a little uh, more stable and a little bit cheaper. So there's an economic incentive um, to go about developing aluminum ion batteries to replace lithium ion batteries. Um, two, sort of why is developing aluminum ion batteries hard? And uh, when you're looking at the cathode, the, the what we refer to as like the positive half of the battery, um, it's hard to find good cathode materials for aluminum. So aluminum usually gives up three electrons while lithium usually gives up one electron. So it's a little bit harder to find materials that want to take those three electrons and will kind of remain the same than than want to take one electron and remain the same. Uh, So a group has found a material that they think is promising. They've run experimental tests on it. um, And we want to identify sort of their experimental performance, right? They've, they've hooked the positive and the negative halves of their battery up, up to uh, like a volt reader. And they've said like, okay, the voltage that we're getting out is a little bit lower than what we thought it would be. And it was my job to kind of find out why. So sort of the, the simpler bit here um, as to how I went about answering that question is basically uh, you've got two types of people that you want to put, you know, in an environment and each of those people has a particular like trade associated with it. You know, lithium is a little bit more dangerous, but there's a lot more of it around. And, you know, the kind of environment for lithium is already established. So you want to say, okay, cool. This is a little dangerous, but I can predict how it's going to be dangerous. And I think that's fine. Mm. Aluminum is sort of the unknown that you think is going to be stable but it takes a little bit more work to get there, to find a good environment to place it. And all this problem really amounted to was, you know, trying to find what is the environment that's best suited for these two types of people, right? And we just want to get energy out of that interaction is maybe an analogy I would use. I find like for this stuff, you know, it's, I think in analogies and cartoons, and things that, you know, aren't more complicated than like simple geometric shapes that are probably in, you know, a kindergarten classroom of like how to try to explain this stuff. Oh, so that, that makes sense. Cause so you're, you know, kind of addressing that issue that we were talking about where 
if somebody doesn't speak the language just because of, you know, not being familiar with it, not working in it in a day-to-day capacity, well, you adjust how you tell the story and you tell it in a way where most people are familiar with it and people can understand people behaving in an environment. Yep. You would assume. Um, You would hope, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really cool. I find myself doing similar things with, with students too. It's like, now it's a little bit different because in a one-on-one interaction, you know the other person. So you can pick up like, okay, I'll use a sports analogy with this person who likes sports. I'll use a different kind of analogy with somebody else. But mm-hmm. um, that's a, a very you know an interesting strategy. And it seems so simple, but finding the right analogy, I imagine, is a little more work than than the finished product seems. Yeah, it takes a couple iterations to get through on maybe what the final good analogy is. Um, you know, and, and obviously it's, it's audience dependent. I find uh, a big factor in say, whenever I drift off, you know, when, when I'm looking at some like PowerPoint slides or something like that is uh, there ha- there isn't an image in my head. A lot of it is, you know, you want to build a scene to minimize the amount of, of work and visualization your audience has to do. You mm-hmm. want to build the room for them and then they can, you know, try to populate that room once it's there, but it's hard to keep an audience interested if they don't have a visual of the space that you're talking about. That makes sense. So how do you find striking a balance between precision and storytelling to be tricky sometimes? I just imagine, you know, you want people to understand the story, but at the same time, you can't gloss over everything and and kind of either make it not exactly true or kind of leave it up to too much interpretation that could lead someone to make a different conclusion than what you're trying to to draw sure Um, you think you could talk a little bit about how you how do you strike that balance or what what are some things you're kind of intention with there yeah for sure um so a lot of that right is thinking of uh who my audience is and minimizing the amount of damage that they could do if maybe I tell them something incorrect or even, you know, what level of correct do they want from me, Mm. right? Even if someone's asking you a question, some people will be happy if it's within the ballpark. Not everyone wants you to split the atom. That's kind of my first thought is who am I speaking to? Uh, How complicated of an answer do they want from me? Because I could write you a whole thesis on a complicated answer to a question if you want. So that's usually the biggest part. When it comes to sweeping things under the rug or making things simpler, that's something I'm still learning. And sort of the rule that I've fallen on is um, basically feel free to stretch the facts as long as the story that you're telling is still true. Mm. Um, Right, as long as sort of the logic of your narrative is consistent, then I think you're, you're fine in terms of sweeping things under the rug. Uh, so as an example of that, say I'm working on some complicated problem and there's, you know, a piece of it that's, I need to think a little bit about, or maybe requires like some extra code or model to explain that's maybe more time than I have or want to invest in this project. Right. Then I'll just say, okay, there's just maybe some probability of success that this thing will happen. And I'll say, I've assumed that, you know, you've got an 80% chance of event A happening and 20% chance of event B happening. And I'll list 
why I made those assumptions, but I won't actually like solve that problem. Um, hmm. So I try to toe the line as much as possible. Um, and those are some of the techniques that I use to help, help walk that route. Very cool. Sounds like uh, it'll always be something that you're kind of working on finding that balance and um, you know, what it's, it's what makes a lot of people good at what they do kind of continuing to ask that question. Like, how can I make sure I'm towing the line here the right way? Sure. For sure. For sure. So I found um, as a math teacher myself, like going into working in education, um, obviously when I was at our sinus, I'd Got, I have a bachelor's in math and, you know, did the education program and everything um, to get certified to teach. But I also found like, I mean, one example, we have to write report card comments for our students and they're like lengthier than at some schools or paragraphs. And um, it's good stuff. It gives good detail. But my boss said to me, she's like, you know, for a math teacher, you can write. And um, I was like, all right, kind of like backhanded compliment. But like, I think I can write <laughs> regardless of uh, you know, the, the, the label you want to give me, but, um, I think I've, but I've, I've found that like, that seems to be pretty common with their sinus grads. Like, yeah, I, I studied math. Um, you know, you studied physics, but obviously you have, uh, some writing skills that maybe people would say the same thing, you know, for a physicist, you can write, <laughs> um, or, or just tell a story in that way. So, um, I know I credit uh, some of that, uh, experience myself to her sinus. Do you feel the same way? For sure. Um, so no joke. I've had someone say the exact same, you know, thing to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was for, for a STEM person that you write pretty well. At first I was, I was impressed and pleased with myself. And then I realized, you know, the, the backhanded nature of the compliment. So yeah, <laughs> I, I totally get it. Um, and I've had that happen pretty much at all stages right of my like academic career um at her sinus in grad school it actually helped me out a lot um so writing was i guess a big factor in um or it was one of my strengths as a grad student compared to the other physics grad students so when it came to paper writing and grant writing um that was something that uh you know my advisor and mentors could really lean into um, and yeah, it was just totally different, right? Hearing about, you know, four years of, of all maybe math and science classes, you know, versus like reading the Epic of Gilgamesh the first year. Um, I think, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it gave us a great ability to contextualize things, which always, you know, makes technical stuff better. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and you feel like, you know, the CIE program does that and then it kind of, there's just different aspects of, the whole experience where it, it comes back in you find yourself writing or telling stories or communicating in different ways than, um, you know, it wasn't just writing proofs for me or, or doing, you know, it's not just a list of facts. I did a B happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then a lot of like science papers, you know, even ones that are published are still, uh, lists of facts. Um, yeah. Yeah, which is not good. <laughs> yeah. So, do you do you have any specific like mentors from our sinus or professors that you can, I don't know, you you would kind of give like a shout out to or a thank you to for some of those writing skills or storytelling skills uh, skills that you have? Ooh, um, I remember. Yeah. So my second semester CIE, I had Doctor Dowdy, 
Um, and he was really hard. He was really hard. It was like, I, I maybe expected a little bit of a, of an easy course in, in like CIE. Um, but that was maybe the hardest I worked in any course last semester when I had him and that, uh, yeah, he pushed me a lot as a, as a writer. Becky Evans was another one, had her for international politics. Um, yeah, those are two that I would mention specifically on the writing side. Um, I've got plenty of other professors to give shout outs to if, uh, if you'll give me the platform to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, too, too many good ones to note, uh, all of them, but um, so you took an international politics class too. Like that's kind of what I'm, you know, that's. I did. Yeah. So uh, I didn't mention this earlier. I never really wanted to be a physicist growing up. Um, when I applied to schools and chose or sinus, I, I kind of thought I was going to do major in political science and, you know, not really do STEM stuff, um, you know, at all. And then uh, after some more experiences with Dr. DeKine, I switched it up. But yeah, I took, you know, international politics. Uh, I forget what other electives I took, but one or two other ones, um, like the history and then poli-sci departments. I think of like some of the, you know, you have to take a certain number of different courses in different areas. And at first you're like, I, oh, you know, really have yeah. to do this stuff. And then you get in there and you're like, wait, can I like quadruple major? Yeah, <laughs> Can I just share sure. with these people too? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. yeah, man, that was me and failure. I lived in that building with like all the random stuff I ended up taking. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, one question we always ask, this is an important one. Where did you live your freshman year? I lived in Broadbeck three freshman year in BWC. BWC, yes. I was yeah. Curtis. I was Curtis. Yeah, Broadbeck three. So. so so you know BWC's better. Oh, for sure. BPS, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> So underrated. So underrated. <laughs> BPS just has the quad, and that's all they talk about. Yeah, but the common room of BWC is that, that was that was our spot. Sure. I used, I used to play some uh, some rock band in that. In that oh, nice. Uh, common room. Yeah, man, we did uh, Call of Duty Zombies. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of zombie sessions down there. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk. Uh, it was great to hear more about, um, like I said, I was excited at first to, to read over your bio and, and see we we're going to talk some STEM and some storytelling, but it was great to hear more of the specific examples you had for us and, and hear about that communication piece. So um, thanks again, Michael. Yeah, thank you. And uh... Yeah, before I sign off, I do want to give some shout outs to doctors uh, Tom Carroll and, uh, and Lou Riley from the physics department. Uh, and yeah, just say thank you for, uh, yeah, for all those years of hard work. I, uh, I really remember all that. Hi, everyone. This is Nicole Good, and I'm here today to share the professional development quick tips brought to you by the Ursinus College Alumni Council. Remember the phrase, show, don't tell? Well, storytelling is just that, and it's very important in the professional world and a way of communicating in the workplace. Sure, you can list out your accomplishments and achievements in an interview or have a conversation with a senior colleague. However, being able to explain your interests, accomplishments, and skills in a way that not only catches your audience's attention, but sticks with them, gives you that leg up. If your audience takes away or learns something new from your story, well, then that's a bonus. 
Storytelling helps you build your personal brand, showcase what you as an individual are about, and explains what value you will bring to the organization or the company. Next time you are asked to talk about your successes, try the storytelling approach.